My name is Pastor John. I'm the associate pastor here at East Shore. And this morning, we are going to begin looking at the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Now, if you glance through chapter one of the book of Joshua, or the whole book, but within chapter one, this book that I described as a book of action, war, drama, suspense, well, it begins with a bunch of people talking for a while. And on one hand, that might not sound very exciting. This book is supposed to be about action and war. Why is everybody talking? But as I read about it, and as I I read through it and I thought about it, it reminded me a lot of locker room speeches and sports movies. Because in every sports movie, the head coach gives a motivational, inspirational speech before the big game. And so as I was thinking about it, I looked through a couple of examples And one that particularly struck me was Herb Brooks's speech in the movie Miracle that's based on the true story of the 1980 U.S. men's Olympic hockey team. So before their big game against the best team in the world, Brooks says something similar to this. He tells them, great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight. One game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine. But not this game not tonight. You were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Their time, it's done. It's over. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. (laughs) Now a speech like that, that's very similar to what's happening in the first chapter of the book of Joshua. In this chapter, God is giving a pre-game, pre-conquest speech to Joshua. His address is one of encouragement. And so as we look at God's encouragement and then Joshua and the Israelites' response, well, we'll learn how God's promise to be with us can help us to be strong and courageous today. So if you're not already there, please turn your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. If you'd like to use that red Bible in the seat back in front of you, it should be on page 116. And once you are there in Joshua 1, I'd ask that if you are able, you please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. I'll warn you, it's a little bit of a longer passage today, but stand as I read through our passage, Joshua 1. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Here's what God's Word says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Verse 10, and Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, which reveals you to us. Helps us to know that you are with us, that your presence is here. And we need your presence, God. We can't hear your word today and we can't live for you without it. God, we need more of you. So in the words of John the Baptist from John 3.30, I pray that now you would increase and that we would decrease. Lord, may what we say here today and what we see in your word, may your encouragement in this book challenge us to be strong, and to be courageous. Thank you for being with us. Lead us to respond to your grace with obedience and commitment to the person and the cause of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to think about where we are in Scripture. So we are starting the book of Joshua this morning. Last week in the message, I gave kind of a larger introduction to the book, so if you'd like more detail about what Joshua's like, I encourage you to check that message out online. But for our purposes, the book of Joshua is the true story of God fulfilling his promises to Israel. He had promised their ancestor Abraham that his descendants would have a land of their own. After they spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt, God used a man named Moses to lead his people to freedom. 
After another 40 years spent wandering in the wilderness, a new generation of God's people is camped on the eastern shore of the Jordan River. They have just taken land from two evil kings, but they knew that God promised to give them the land on the other side of the river. Well, Moses has died, and Joshua has taken his place as the new leader of God's people. And now the Israelites are ready to move forward and ready to see God's faithfulness in giving them the promised land. Chapter 1 splits nicely into kind of two halves. And in the first half of the chapter, we read about God's encouragement. God's encouragement. One of our elders, Dan Long, he preached a sermon on this passage a few months ago. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that. What I'm going to do in this part of the message is just support what he said and add on to it in my own words. In these verses, God is speaking to Joshua, commissioning him, calling him for the task of leading Israel into the promised land. God says a lot in these nine verses, but there's two major encouragements that shine through that I want to focus on. The Lord's first encouragement to the people is, I will be with you. I will be with you. In these verses, Joshua is given assurance of God's power so that he and Israel's armies could march into the promised land with confidence. In verse 2, he's told to arise and get ready to cross the Jordan River. The time has come for God's promises to be fulfilled. In verse 3, God says that wherever the sole of Joshua's foot treads, wherever he sets his foot in the land of Canaan, that land will be given to God's people. In verse 4, God describes the borders of the land before he gets to that key encouragement in verse 5. In verse 5, he says that no man, no army, no enemy will be able to stand either before or against Joshua because just as God was with Moses, the Lord says he will be with Joshua. He will not leave him. He will not forsake him. He will not fail him. He will not abandon either Joshua or his people. He puts it another way at the very end of this section in verse 9. He says Joshua does not need to be frightened. He does not need to be afraid. He does not need to be dismayed. He does not need to be discouraged. The Lord will be with him wherever he goes. This message would have been incredibly encouraging for Joshua and the Israelites. The Lord is going to be with them. That means their victory is assured. Of course, the, the opposite is also true, because their cause would be hopeless without God. If the Israelites are going to see God's promises fulfilled, they need God's presence with them. God is the one who is giving them the land. They did not earn it. The Israelites did not do anything to deserve this land. It is a gift of God's free grace. It will only be theirs because of God's presence with them. And this encouragement of God's presence, this promise that he will be with his people, we see this repeated throughout God's word. King David said this to his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28.20. David said to Solomon, his son, this is interesting, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. In Solomon's case, until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. It's 
really interesting to me how similar David's words are to the words Joshua hears from God here. I'm just guessing here. But David had probably heard about the stories of the Lord's victories through Joshua. And so he's passing on that truth, those stories, to his son. Dan referenced this passage in his sermon. The Lord would also give another encouragement like this to God's people hundreds of years later when they returned from exile in Babylon. They were working to rebuild the temple. And in Haggai 2.4, in Haggai 2.4, this is what the prophet says. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Again, this encouragement to be strong is tied to God's promises to be with his people. Now, we're going to talk about being strong in just a moment, but before we do, we must recognize why it's important that God's strength is tied to his presence. Because if God is not with us, then we would be weak. Only if he is with us can we be strong in the task that he has called us to do. We would be lost without God's presence. But praise God, he promises to be with his people. The author of the New Testament letter to the Hebrews applies the same encouragement. Using these phrases from the Old Testament, he applies it to Christians' lives today. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Why? For he, for God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The only reason we have to be content in our troubles and our struggles in life is the fact that God is with us. He helps us. He will be with us. Genuine Christians know that this is true because he has already given his people the greatest gift in the world. The greatest gift that God can give us is the gift of his son. In the words of John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. Our victory in this life is assured if we have a relationship with him. If we know Jesus, then God's presence is always with us. Now, we may feel it differently at different times. We may experience it in different ways, in different situations, but he is always with us. We do not have to conjure up God's presence. We do not have to do something to make him come down from heaven. If we know him, he is with us, and he will not abandon us. A question I thought about, applied to myself, is how would my life be different if I remembered more often that God is with me? Let me ask you, how would your life be different if you remembered more often that God is with you? He will never give us a challenge. He will never call us to a task that he will not provide for. We may become overwhelmed, but he never is. He will give us the confidence and trust that we need to live for him and to share his good news with everyone we come in contact with. If we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then we are never alone. 
So God's first encouragement to Joshua is, I will be with you. And his second encouragement is a challenge to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. We read this first in verse 6, be strong and courageous. And then we see it again in verse 7, only be strong and courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And a little different, we hear some people say it to Joshua at the end of verse 18, only be strong and courageous. Joshua is told to be strong and courageous because he is going to lead the Israelites to inherit and divide the land that has been promised to their fathers and their ancestors. And so like Joshua, if we are going to act the the way that God desires, well, then we are going to need the attitude that God desires. We must trust God, approach the future with boldness and confidence. Right before he died, Moses said this to Joshua. This is from Deuteronomy 31. Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. You shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. It's interesting because our passage today is God quoting Moses back to Joshua. God is telling Joshua the truth that Moses had already told him. Joshua can be brave. He can approach the coming challenge without fear because God is with him. Now, it's a huge task that's in front of Joshua and the Israelites. There will be one battle after another once they get to the other side of the river. But if God has a purpose for them, if God has a purpose for us in our difficulties, then his word to us is be strong and courageous. Now, we're not to rush headlong into what we want to do, but if God is in our action, if he is with us, then we too can be strong and courageous. In 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul tells his protege, Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We are strong and courageous when God's power, his love, his self-control overrides our fear. Now, I know we've read a lot, we've said a lot, be strong and courageous. It's one thing to say that, but the question is, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be strong and courageous? Well, I could make up an answer for you, but God tells us in verses 7 and 8, so I'll let him do the talking. Joshua is to be strong and courageous by obeying and meditating on God's law, obeying and meditating on God's word. We'll talk a a bit more in detail about obedience in a few minutes, but for now, just look at the text in verse 7. Joshua will be strong and courageous by being careful to do or obey and observe the law that God gave to Moses. It will take courage and strength for Joshua to take the promised land, but it will take even more bravery to boldly obey God's law in the face of opposition. But obeying God's law, that is the path that Joshua is to follow. If he does not deviate or turn to the right or the left, then he will be successful. He will prosper through his wise actions. He has to avoid the errors of going right or left, of adding to or taking away from God's word. He cannot 
take away parts of the Bible that he does not like. He cannot add things to God's law that he thinks would be helpful. God's word is sufficient. It is all that he needs. And that's why it's so important for Joshua to spend time meditating on God's word. As he says in verse 8, God says that his law, his word, the book of the law should not depart. It should always be on Joshua's mouth or lips so that he may be careful to do it and obey it. Joshua is to think about, he is to dwell on God's law. If he does that, then he will be able to respond to trials and temptations the same way Jesus did in the New Testament when he was tempted by the devil. Jesus' response was to quote Scripture. Joshua can respond the same way. When Dan preached on this, he called this verse the meat of the sandwich. It is that important. Now, when we talk about meditation, we're not talking about emptying our minds like in Eastern religions. We're talking about filling our minds with God's truth. Meditation is a period of intense contemplation, seriously thinking on the Word of God. God is telling Joshua he needs to set aside time to think deeply about the things of the Lord. And this kind of meditation, it's a practice that the rest of Scripture recommends. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 tells us, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the Lord's law. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The one who does this will be like a tree planted by the streams of water that produces its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. The language of that psalm is, is very similar to God's words to Joshua in our text. We see about meditating day and night, and that will bring prospering and success. Blessing and success are tied to meditating on God's word. Now, let me be clear. We're not talking about financial or material success. In fact, the, the words here in Joshua are very rarely used that way in the Old Testament. What we are talking about is succeeding in what God has called us to do. In a few minutes, we'll talk about how God has called us to respond with obedience and commitment, and that should be the goal of our meditation. One pastor who wrote a commentary on this named Rhett Dotson, he put it this way, as you ponder the Bible's words, stories, and instructions over and over again, Scripture begins to shape and mold the way that you think about life. It begins to play a role in how you decide to spend your time and your money. Scripture meditation paves the way for spiritual success. Thinking about God's Word helps us to live for Him. When we are satisfied with God and in our relationship with Him, then our lives become filled with joy. Psalm 119, verses 14 through 16, adds this. In the way of your testimonies, in the way of God's testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Obeying and meditating on God's word is how Joshua is to be strong and courageous. And this great encouragement from God, well, it has its desired effect. 
because Joshua and the Israelites, they leave the locker room ready for the game. In the second half of the chapter, we're going to read about Joshua and the Israelites' response. They've received God's encouragement, and now they respond. And there's two major responses that dominate this section. First, Joshua and the Israelites respond with obedience. They respond with obedience. In verses 10 and 11, Joshua told the, he commanded the officers, the leaders of the people of the Israelites, he commanded them to prepare the people of Israel. It was time to get ready to go. He says in verse 11, pass through the midst of the camp, command the people, prepare your provisions, for in three days you are to pass over this Jordan. They had three days to cook, prepare, store the food they would need for the journey across the Jordan River into the promised land. Now, Joshua saying this to them might have sounded a bit strange to their ears, because we'll find out in a few weeks that at this time of year, the Jordan River was at flood stage. So human wisdom would have said, you know, maybe we should wait a little bit before going in there. But God said it was time to move forward. So Joshua obedient led, obediently led the people. He led them to follow God's command to arise and go over the river. He's applying the truth that we would then find in the New Testament. In James 1, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. God told him to obey, so he did. And here we see the truth that it's impossible to truly love God, to truly trust him and never obey him. Because to refuse to obey God is to reject his love. Now, we're not made right with God by our obedience, by what we do. But if we have a relationship with God, it will produce results in our lives. If someone does not obey God, then from all we can tell, they are not committed to God. The two are always connected. Throughout the Bible, we see kind of this balance between God's sovereign control and between human responsibility and action. And we see it play out in this passage. When God spoke, he made it clear he is the one who is giving the people the land. He alone gets credit for that. Yet Joshua and the Israelites are called to respond with obedience and to move forward. God gets the glory, but he calls his people to act. We talked about last week how at the very end of this book, Joshua will challenge the Israelites. We read it in Joshua 24, 15. He says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me in my house, my household, we will serve the Lord. The book ends with the choice to obey God, the God who was faithful, the God who gave them the land, obey him or reject him. The same choice is before us. God's people today can respond in obedience by fulfilling Christ's great commission to make disciples. One way we obey God is by telling others about Jesus. As was mentioned earlier today, we only have two weeks left in our great commission challenge. So let's be intentional about obeying God's call to share his good news with those who know him. Joshua and the Israelites responded with obedience. But second, Joshua and the Israelites also respond with commitment, with commitment. 
In verse 12, Joshua turns to address two and a half of the 12 tribes of Israel. The tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh had been given land that the Israelites already conquered on the east side of the Jordan River toward the sunrise. don't know how well you can see, but on this little chart, on the right side of it, there's a black line in the middle between two blue spots. That's the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And you see there's three places on the east side of the river. That's an artist's representation of roughly where Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh's land was supposed to be. Their land is on the east side. They already have it. They had their inheritance. They were already home. When they came into this land, these tribes asked Moses before he died if they could keep this land rather than going across the river and getting some land over there. Moses was unsure, but eventually he agreed. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we read his reminder to these people. He says, I commanded you at that time, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess, but all your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. Only your wives and your little ones and your livestock, I I know you want to be here because you have much livestock, they shall remain in the cities that I have given you. And they shall remain there until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as to you. And they also occupy the land that the Lord your God gives them beyond the Jordan. Then, then each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you. Now, note how similar that is to our text. Let me read verses 13 through 15. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. They're very similar. They're almost the same. I think clearly we can see Joshua has already spent some time meditating on God's law. He's been thinking about what God has already said and is prepared to use God's word in his daily life. Here, Joshua reminds the two and a half tribes what God has already told them and challenges them to trust God to be faithful to his word. All of Israel had fought on the east side of the river. Now all of Israel must fight on the west side until God's promises are fulfilled. We'll find out in chapter 4 that there were 40,000 men of valor, fighting men, strong warriors from these tribes who journey across the river with the rest of God's people. And this is a powerful sign of how united the Israelites were. And it's kind of a challenge to us. Our culture today is very individualistic. We often think only about what I want, what's best for me, what's best for me and my immediate family. But these two and a half tribes, they were committed to the body of God's people. They were challenged to put the interest of others above their own. These two and a half tribes then respond in verses 16 through 18. They recognize Joshua's leadership. They commit to obey him and do whatever he requires. They answer Joshua, all that you've commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. All that he asks, they will heed and obey. 
they will be as faithful to him as they were to his predecessor. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. They will be loyal and supportive. They will not allow any dissension. Verse 18, whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. These tribes are telling Joshua, we are not going to be a burden. We are not going to be a source of concern. They're saying that they are not stuck in the past. They are ready to move forward into the promised land. Here we see a a beautiful relationship between Joshua and the people that he's been called to lead. They are committed to God's purposes, and they are committed to each other. God's leaders depend on faithful followers, and God's people rely on faithful leaders. Both are needed. Both must be found faithful. But in addition, their words here are so touching because they remind Joshua in verse 17 that God will be with him. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And then in verse 18, they challenge him to be strong and courageous above all else. This is a very moving picture of God's people using God's word to encourage their leader. Again, Pastor Rhett Dotson has some wise application here. When it comes to encouraging other believers to trust the Lord and serve Him, we don't have to be clever. We don't have to be inventive. Just patiently and kindly speak Scripture into someone's life and watch its power at work. This was the example of the two and a half tribes as they respond to godly authority with submission prayer, and encouragement. Now, I apologize for the spoiler looking ahead, but let me tell you, at the conclusion of the book of Joshua, we find these two and a half tribes faithful to the end. They followed through. They refused to let their home on the other side of the river divide them from God's purposes. In Joshua 22, Joshua tells them, now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn, go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. They made a commitment, and they were obedient to fulfill it. And their actions should inspire us to be people of our word. Honoring our commitment shows those who do know God that we are faithful, we can be trusted. And it shows those who are not believers that God's word is true and it changes our lives. May we be found faithful in what we do for the Lord. There are many people who start well but end poorly. If we're not dependent on God, if we are not passionate about our commitments, well, then we too will fail. I pray that this church may be found by the Lord to be faithful, just as these two and a half tribes were. May we serve God sacrificially as they did, putting others' interests before our own. Brothers and sisters, let us move forward and pursue faithfulness together. Because we do not need to be afraid. Remember, God is with us. He calls us to be strong and courageous by obeying and meditating on His words. And then He calls us to respond with obedience and commitment. We do not need to be afraid of following God wherever He would have us to go. We may not know what it will look like. We may not know how it will turn out. 
but we can be confident that He will be there. As I read this passage, as I thought about these people's commitment to the Lord, it reminded me of a prayer that I told you about a few weeks ago. For years, every day, I pray, whatever it takes, make me like Jesus. I pray that as a church, we each pray that individually, and we pray it together for East Shore Baptist Church. That is a prayer that God will honor. Whatever it takes, make me, make us like Jesus. Joshua and these two and a half tribes, they knew God, so they responded to his encouragement with this obedience and this commitment. But if you do not know God, well, then you cannot respond with obedience and commitment to the work of the Lord, his work in this world. Without a relationship with God, well, then you are stuck in your sin. You are separated from him. And if you do not turn from your current course, well, then you will suffer his judgment for your rebellion against him. And that is why you first need to commit to a relationship with Jesus Christ. He died so that you would be restored to a right standing before God. If you know Him, then you will know God. His Spirit will enable you to obey Him, just like Joshua and these two and a half tribes we read about today. If you know Him, He will be with you. He will help you to be strong and courageous. If you do not know him, turn, turn from your disobedience. Trust him in a new life of joyful commitment. He loves you. He has your eternal interest at heart. I would be happy to tell you about it. Any genuine follower of Christ would be more than willing to spend the time to tell you how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come to the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. If you do not know him, and to borrow Coach Brooks's speech from the beginning, this is your great opportunity. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, well then look at this great moment of opportunity that we find ourselves in. Rejoice in the God who promised to always be with us. This is our time to be strong and courageous and to move forward. This is our time to obey and meditate on God's word. This is our time to respond to God's call with obedience and commitment. Right now, in this moment, this is our time to worship Him because He alone is worthy.